621 and time for the morning brief where we bring in one of our leading pundits for their analysis on the stories we've been talking about for the last hour and a bit. This morning, Tim Hudak is here from the Ontario Real Estate Association. Nice to have you, sir. Good morning, John Moore. So a short list of would-be mayors clashed last night in a debate. Mark Saunders not present. He said he had something else. And then the whole thing was crashed by one guy who was upset that he was not included. Yeah, look, I um, I, I saw parts of the debate. Deb watched it from uh, from bell to to final bell. Uh, it was math math test day from <laughs> Miller tomorrow, so that was the main the main goal around the um, the kitchen table. Look, I, I the first thing that, it, that when I when I see that, it, it's just it looks below what the fourth largest city in North America should have. Right? They had that box of food in front of everyone. I guess I guess I know. I understand it's the Daily Bread Food Bank, and you broadcast what you are. They had a cheap curtain, looked like it was borrowed from a puppet show or something. It's just unbecoming <laughs> of the city of Toronto. And it really isn't that strong of a test. Good they're on the stage. Okay, so it's first look at five of the top six, uh, so to speak. But it's not really a test of their skills either by that by that format. So, you know, in my view, they all did fine. Brad Bradford did a bit better than expected on a uh, bylaw, I thought, looked competent. Chow probably the weakest, but still, you know, did nothing to jeopardize it. But it really wasn't a, a high-caliber test. I don't know if it's, if it's John Moore. I'd be glad to get behind you. Organize an actual demanding debate where they go back and forth and voters in Toronto can choose who they think has got the chops to lead this great city to better times ahead. I, I'm just saddened that the caliber that they're actually putting these candidates through is is well below where it should be. Okay, well, you, when you were leader of the provincial conservatives engaged in debates like this, I mean, do they actually make a difference? Because my own sense, for example, last night's debate, uh, a lot of people are only hearing about it from other people who saw it who may have their own agenda. They, they, do, make a, they do make a difference. I, I have many recollections of how a major debate then would cause a momentum shift one way or another. It would reinforce votes of those who are with you. You could jeopardize the path you're on by by blowing a debate, but they can be game changers because at the provincial and national level, there is a couple of them. They are high stakes. You're on that stage. It is a fitting test for a high office. The sad reality is, John, that when I'm watching this last night, it reminded me of the... Sm- Actually, at a lower level, the debates I'd engage in in my riding on, you know, in some church basement, it's just, it's just not at the level that we should have here. I think we have so many, and they are so spread out that individually they don't have a big impact, whereas one or two major debates certainly would. Doug Ford has signaled that he's ready to set Mississauga free. This could be a fairly fraught file, though, I'm thinking, because when we talked, for example, with Patrick Brown, mayor of Brampton last Friday, he said, fine, you know, we can all go our own way, but there's a lot of money to argue about. Well, sure, they're complicated. You're going to have petty rivalries between the constituent municipalities. But I think anywhere and everywhere where you could eliminate a level of government and do so responsibly, we should get on that. We made a number of amalgamations uh, when I was uh, in office under Premier Harris that I think have proven to be successful over time. City of Toronto has been one, City of Hamilton another, Ottawa, Sudbury. Haldeman, Norfolk, you may not have heard of. That was one where we went in a different direction instead of big creating 
one larger city. You broke up one region into two individual municipalities. Here's the, the, the one trick to it, though. It often will come with a political penalty, particularly if it's forced. So to look how uh, the members of the governing party, the PCs at the time, in almost all of those, they called the Norfolk, we lost seats in those areas. And in Peel region, where we're looking at separating Mississauga out from Peel, that is completely a PC-dominated municipality. So that's a risk you take politically. But man, if you can get rid of the overlap, get taxes uh, un- under control, stop the duplication and planning that drives up housing costs or keeps them out. And isn't it time? Mississauga, which is the third largest in Ontario after Ottawa and Toronto, I think sixth or seventh in Canada, should be a standalone city. It should be Brampton, for that matter, John. I think we, you've got to figure out what to do with Caledon. Is that going with Dufferin area? But man, this is long overdue, and we see more of it in the province of Ontario. Although, without getting too inside baseball, um, I find it interesting that anything Doug Ford does vis-a-vis Mississauga could be also about the fact that Bonnie Crombie might run for the Liberal leadership. Just, I don't know if that's 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 a factor. Certainly makes the politics interesting. But I mean, Hazel McCallion was a champion of this for some time. It just makes sense for me on paper, upside and down, to have a city of that size, right? Almost eight hundred thousand, going to be a million in a, in a number of years' time, to have to you know look out for the other municipalities in the area, to have two levels of government driving up taxes, bringing in more red tape, delaying housing and job projects. We brought in these layers of additional government in the early 1970s. It's time to review them and where a municipality can break out. Look, at London and Windsor, municipalities with much smaller sizes are standalone municipalities. So too should Mississauga and so too should Brampton. A disturbing survey of teachers in the province finds that more and more of them feel that they are facing violence in schools. And, you know, I'll, I'll let you take this anywhere that you want because I've weighed in on it. And this is not a new Um, sort of sounding of an alarm, but the ongoing question is, what do we do about it? You know, this is by the Educational Teachers Federation of Ontario, so ETFO, elementary school teachers, and um, I'm not usually a fan mm-hmm. of the kind of material they, they put out, but they, they, they hooked me here because I, I, I am worried about this issue. I do believe and am not surprised that 80% of teachers said they've experienced or witnessed violence. Okay, not surprised. 80% say that it's actually become worse and more severe, both numbers and the types of incidences, and that calls for action. So, so it caught my attention. I said, well, good for them, the teachers union is actually doing something aside from being political and attacking the government of the day and going to bring forward good ideas, which then I could not find when I clicked the link. I was saddened to see that their conclusion was that teachers and educational workers are merely collateral damage by the attempt of the foreign government to starve public education. What, what a wasted opportunity. I would have loved if the union caught our attention with the survey and they said, here are the things we're going to do. That we actually have a great, should have a greater ability of the principal to suspend and expel students without having their hands tied by the school board. We should have seen a greater focus on having teachers in the hallways again, not simply classroom teachers counting minutes, but school teachers, police in schools where appropriate. I would have loved to have seen those solutions. I think you need to do things like that and investigate the cause of the problem than simply pointing your finger at the government and claiming underfunding. Uh, Doug Ford weighing in yesterday, Tim Hudak, on the idea that once again, uh, beer and wine sales could come to Ontario convenience stores, having come from a jurisdiction where, you know, from the day of my birth, we could buy beer at the corner store. This debate drives me crazy. 
<laughs> and, and and I'm with you on that. You know, whether you went uh, east, west, uh, or south out of Ontario, you'd find jurisdictions where this happens commonly, and you you don't have riots happening in front of the the Seven Eleven or the the Max Milk, what what have you. Look, um, the reason this hasn't happened to to date, well, I think it's sort of Ontario's dated Victorian era Protestant values in some ways, but we're finally shedding that cloth. John, glad to see it. But there is an agreement formed by the previous government with Big Beer, Molson, and Labatt, and Sleemans to restrict options. That comes off in 2025, and I hope the Premier goes forward with this. Now, I used to get lobbied against this. I liked the idea when I was in office. You'd hear from domestic producers that only the big brands will get into the variety stores. They'll say that prices will go up because delivery costs are higher, and that will undermine the beer store. I don't know if I buy that. It should all be about consumer choice and making sure that small businesses have more products to offer. So bring it on. Mm-hmm. Stand up to big beer. Give me my choice. I'm cheering the premier on. And I must say, there is more no more joyless place than an Ontario beer store. <laughs> Some now have the walk-in fridge. That's kind of fun. That's an innovation. And innovations come about by putting pressure on them by having more competition. I will tell you, John, when I, I looked at this for a platform when I was Ontario PC leader, it wasn't as big of a vote driver as you think from from our conversation. I think you, you and I just believe in consumer choice and not you know babysitting adults anymore. But it did motivate young males. That was a voting cohort, uh, early 20s males that would actually vote on this issue. And the premier did capitalize on that in 2018. I'd like to see him carry through on that promise. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Have a great day. Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. In the next half hour, it's a Tech Tuesday, so Carmi Levy's going to be here. Can twins fool facial recognition?